are listening to Shaping a Better Maritime World podcast by Bureau Veritas. Each month, we discuss marine and offshore market trends with key stakeholders to help you navigate the energy transition and shape a better maritime world for the future generation. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. I'm your host, Nick Brown, and welcome to today's episode of Shaping a Better Maritime World. Bureau Veritas podcast about marine and offshore market trends, trying to help you keep up to date with what's coming. It's great to be with cruise industry leader Tom Strang and BV's leading cruise ship expert, Andreas Ulrich, to talk about the future of the cruise industry. Tom is the senior vice president of maritime affairs at Carnival, while Andreas is our global market leader for passenger ships and ferries. Hi, Tom. Hi, Andreas. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you're both well. Yeah, well, good uh, morning, Nick. Um, thanks very much for having me here today. Good morning. So to get us started, COVID-19, the pandemic was challenging for almost all businesses and the cruise sector was hit particularly. How did you approach the COVID-19 situation at Carnival? Well, clearly it was a massive challenge for our sector. We had the majority of our fleet out of passenger carrying service for the better part of two years. And I think... It was probably, from my personal um, perspective, the most challenging period of my career to date. How did we approach that? We approached it, as always, as a team and worked hard across all our brands to make sure that we covered the areas that we had to cover and that we um, built on our reputation of safety and reliability. And I think if you took at the individual challenges, though, what were the key challenges? The first one was how we returned those tens of thousands of guests and crew home. And that was incredibly, incredibly difficult to begin with. I think it was, at times, we were in contact with nearly every embassy, every airline in the world, because, you know, we were bringing home, our, first of all, our guests to make sure they got home safely. And then we were having to find ways to bring the hundreds of different nationalities of crew members back to their homes as well. Then we had to lay up our ships, which we'd never done before to maintain them during that pause in operation. And then as the market began to open up, we had to develop the protocols that would ensure that our guests and crew could safely return to work and enjoy the vacation experiences that we're known for. We had to develop detailed medical and public health control measures for both the ship and shore operations. We had to install new equipment on board our ships to deal with some of the challenges that the COVID-19 has brought. We had to introduce new public health officers. We had to train our technical, our food and beverage, our hotel teams in proper policies and protocols. And as you'll be aware, there were very different approaches from the different governments and different nation states around the world, all of which we had to uh, work together with to find ways to bring those ships back. And it's still ongoing, I have to say. You know, we are still not yet with all our ships in operation, so it's still a challenge, but it's one that I think... We've been uh, up to the task with. We've had to change the way we do our business in some places and some cases. But yes, you know, part of this is all about bringing the ships back better. And we couldn't have done it without a massive effort from a very, very dedicated team of people who are passionate about what they do, who are passionate about ensuring that we get back to where we were and we build back better. Well, thanks for that summary. It's amazing how it's receding now to some extent. COVID, as, as the world in many places uh, seems to be very much back to normal, but still with ling- lingering, obviously, effects. How, how do you see the outlook now and, and the immediate future for Carnival? We're now back 
to about, you know, nearly 90% of our ships are back sailing. Occupancy rates are increasing and improving all the time. So from that perspective, you know, things are looking brighter. We've obviously, as well, from a point of view of our overall fleet, you can see that um, we've disposed of 22 ships that were older and less efficient. And we just announced the uh, removal of another ship from the fleet. So, you know, we're right-sizing our fleet. We've had 10 new ships delivered already. And so whilst we've dropped from 103 ships to about 93, or we'll have about 93 at the end of 2022, you know, we've had our overall number of available lower birthdays, which is the way we measure capacity in the industry, has, has, has actually increased. The gross tonnage of the overall fleet has increased by about 3%, and the ALBDs has increased by about 15%. You know, our newer ships are larger and more efficient, more environmentally friendly than the tonnage they replace, and therefore we're, in it, we're putting ourselves in a good position to remain competitive and to face those challenges that we see. Um, particularly, I think, um, from the point of view of the actual return to service, the guest capacity is increasing quarter on quarter. We are, of course, at the moment putting a lot more ships through dry dock um, to get them ready for coming back, and that, or there has been in this last uh, in the last two quarters. So yeah, so some of those numbers look a little bit different when you look at it through that lens. But yeah, we're in. A, I think we carried what about 1.6 million guests in the last quarter. Revenues increasing quarter on quarter, so things are looking uh, reasonable. So yeah, we're 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 optimistic that we can get back to where we need to be, hopefully in the near term. Well, that's great. Thank you. It's good to get a sense of those big trends from your perspective, Andreas. How do things look from your perspective when you you know look across the cruise sector? I think the the future looks bright when we see now that guests want to come back on cruise. But of course, there are a lot of uh, factors which should be considered in this. What will be the effect of the war in Ukraine? What will the effect of the increased uh, energy costs we're all faced with today? And also, we should not forget COVID. I'm sure it will play a role even in the future. Also, we know that cruise lines have demonstrated in the past their ability to react by having adapted effective protocols and routines to mitigate the effects of an outbreak. And it's also important to see how the cruise lines are able to solve the current cruise shortage, at least what is reported in media these days. And when we look in the further future, we have still a number of cruise ships in the order book, a huge number in my view, of different sizes and using different technologies. However, due to pressure to decarbonize the operation, new orders are expected as well. However, when depends also on the availability of new fuels and whether technology will be mature. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Um, and I just wanted to mention something that Andreas brought up in terms of the challenges affecting the market. What do you think, Tom, are going to be the really big challenges now as we move forward? What are the big challenges, Nick? Yeah, that's a very good question. And Andreas, I think, mentioned it in passing in his earlier remarks. Decarbonization is clearly the challenge of our age not just for our sector, for society at large. And in particular, though, in the maritime space, you know, we are a highly carbon-intensive segment and decarbonization is going to be the biggest challenge that we face. I would say if you're a young engineer, naval architect, you're entering at a time of great opportunity. There's going to be a lot of change. There's going to be a lot of differences that we're going to see. On top of that, I would add as well that as well as the technical challenges that come with the decarbonization, then we've got 
challenges and opportunities around ESG and other the, and other reporting requirements that are linked directly to that. I think as we look at those, you know, you look at the different regulatory regimes that we interact with, there's a lot of different approaches to decarbonisation, I mean, and, and that's one of the key challenges that we're seeing today. We've got what happens at the IMO, clearly the global regulators. We've seen EDI. We've now got EEXI and the CII to contend with, and they have specific challenges for our segment and our sector. And then, of course, from an EU perspective, we've got the emissions trading system, the fuel EU maritime, the RED and the AFIR amendments that are passing through or being discussed at the moment by the Parliament, by the Council and by the Commission. And so clearly, this is a massive challenge for our segments and our industry. As we begin to understand what the technology readiness level is going to be of the new technologies that we're going to be looking at on our ships in the future, the availability of these alternative fuels. So that's clearly where I see the biggest challenge today for our segment. Nick. Thanks, Tom. And, you know, Andreas, from a class perspective, what does that mean, uh, do you think? First of all, as I think Tom mentioned this already, we have to cope with the different regulatory regimes from IMO and European and also national legislation, which is really challenging when it comes to technology and fuels and rules. BV has just published uh, rules for alternative fuels, such as methanol ammonia. And of course, we will continue to develop those rules together with the industry and other stakeholders. And we will also look in other alternative fuels and technologies able to support the challenges connected with sustainability, which includes decarbonization. And ESG, what Tom also mentioned, and the public perception, because we see that the public has also a huge perception in becoming greener in all we do in our life. And from a class perspective, I feel we must be even more agile than today and need to adapt our operation model, which has started already, to a service provider able to have answers and solutions for the challenges the industry and society have to manage. If we know where we're going to decarbonize everything, really, by 2050, what about the shorter term? Tom, you know, how in the immediate short term do you think we'll see things changing and how that will affect uh, your ships and ship operations? Yes, yeah, so in the short term, how is that going to affect our ships and our operations? So clearly, we've already made a choice around what fuels we're putting on our ships for, for the short term. You know, we've been the first in our sector to go to LNG. We now have six LNG fuel ships on the water with another five on order and coming. To decarbon, you know, we recognize that LNG doesn't give us everything we need from a decarbonization perspective, but it takes us partly on that journey. And clearly, we begin to see the opportunities then to see that as LNG as a fuel in transition, transitioning towards bio-LNG and synthetic LNG in the future. But then we've also got our existing fleet of ships, which are running on conventional fuels. So we're looking at biofuels and we're looking at new technology. Uh, we're doing trials on batteries. We're doing trials on fuel cells at the moment to understand what those opportunities might be and how we can decarbonize more effectively and more efficiently. And of course, we're also looking at, and we have been for a very long time, focused on how we can be more energy efficient because energy efficiency is going to be key to any of these efforts, in my view. We're going to certainly see the fuels being more expensive in the future, the technology being more expensive. So the, more, the less fuel you use, or whatever unit output you need, whether you measure that on a gross ton days or an ALBD, nautical miles, is going to be beneficial. So investing in systems such as air lubrication systems, variable frequency drive fans, 
optimizing your HVAC systems is going to pay dividends. And we're making significant investments and massive progress in each of those areas. So that's probably where right now we're spending most of that effort in. Of course, then there's, as we said already, there's the regulatory piece. So in the short term, we're looking at how we can um, improve the regulatory situation and utilize those opportunities to uh, improve working together with consultants and class societies like Bureau Veritas to see how we can make those improvements. The other area I would say is monitoring your performance, being very clear about how you monitor your performance, developing KPIs that allow you to dig into the operational practices and understand where we have more opportunities as well. Great. You know, that's sounding like a lot more complexity in the world. What do you think when you hear that? And, you know, again, from the perspective of class, this future fuels landscape, particularly perhaps? First of all, I think I can just confirm what Tom said. The industry has really invested a lot in taking energy consumption down and developing new technologies, implement them on board. They have a lot of trials. As Tom said, with battery and fuel cells, we see this as well. What is also very important that the industry is really investing in research and development a lot, similar like class societies, because we have to find out what are the best technologies when it comes to environment in the future, because we don't have solutions yet. We have ideas. And as Tom also mentioned, LNG is a good transistory on our way to become green. And from a class perspective, it's always we need to be ready to support the industry on their way. And I believe Bureau Veritas has uh, set the stage and we are really a site of cruise industry and other partners. Great. Well, that's good to hear. And if we look further ahead, what does the future of cruising look like in, in 10 years or, or beyond? What significant design changes, for example, could we see and, and how might the shape and operation of the business and the experience of cruising itself change? Tom? Obviously, the challenges that we face are going to shape the design of those ships in the future. I think you've got to remember that it takes around about seven to eight years for a concept to become reality. So the ships in 10 years' time are the ships that we're already beginning to design or are going to be pretty much adaptions or ongoing developments of the existing designs. But I'd certainly like to see that, you know, the first of the zero-emission cruise ships are going to be getting on the water in around that time frame. I think that's, you know, we need to see that if we're going to achieve our net carbon neutral operations by 2050, we're going to have to see the first of these next generation of zero emission cruise ships coming onto the water. I think that that's very clear and that aligns with what we've been doing in the other organizations that we're both members of, like getting to zero. We're going to need to see more of the zero carbon fuels being available in the locations where we need them. And we need to have solved or have solutions ready to decarbonize the whole fleet and the supply chain. So in that 10-year period, this is now the critical phase when we have to develop and design and understand what the future is going to actually look like. Now, what, what's going to be, what are our guests going to look for? Um, that's going to be, that, that I can't tell you at the moment. I wish I could. But clearly our guests at the moment indicate they want more of the same. They, they like the ships. They, they want the opportunity to have those incredible vacation experiences in those wonderful places that we visit. And for us to be able to continue to do that in a, in a world that's decarbonizing, then we have to be up to the challenge. And I believe we are. And I think that um, we'll work closely with the shipyards, with the designers, with the class societies, with the regulators to make it happen. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting 10 years, that's for sure. And, you know, looking forward to seeing what happens. And Andreas, any 
further thoughts on that subject of the industry in transition from a decarbonisation perspective and, and how class will be playing a role? I think, as I said earlier, I think I feel we as class, we have, been, have to become more agile and we have to tighten our relation to the industry. That means not only the operators, also the yard suppliers and designers. And as Tom said, it's very hard to predict how design might look in the future. What I'm very sure the design will change because of customer expectations. All the goals we have with sustainability, we implement new technologies on board, either batteries, fuel cells, anything else which we don't know yet. I hope we will see the application of green and recycled materials and components because this is, I know it has started, but I think here we have to do more as an industry and also class, we have to support this. And maybe we see also the renaissance of sales coming back because this, what we have used uh, 200 years ago and it was satisfactory. Of course, it's different than today. Maybe we also see not yet developed modes of propulsion. I think now it's the time for young engineers to use their brain and their knowledge to develop something new. And we from class, we, we should and we can support that together with the industry. I think that's a really interesting point that both of you have picked up on there. The opportunities for young people, for, for talent to come into shipping and maritime, I think is tremendously exciting. And, and I hope that's an area where the industry can be more active and, and successful in marketing itself as a place to to support the energy transition with really interesting challenges. But just finally, uh, we can't not talk about digital and digital connectivity with technology being front and center of operations. You know, Tom, you talked about the importance of being able to measure performance. It's going to be vital for the cruise experience. Any thoughts on protecting ships and cybersecurity in particular, maybe? Yeah, I'll come to that in a moment, Nick, but I'll just take us back to your previous comment about, the, you know, the young people and the need for that next generation. I think we don't talk about our people enough. I don't think we recognize the challenges that are going to be ahead to upskill the workforce, both ashore and on board. But I do believe, you know, I'm optimistic that our learning institutions, our organizations are ready for that. It's a massive challenge, though, and it is one, I think, that really is an opportunity for people. And I really believe that uh, those young engineers, those, you know, the people who are going to be those officers on board our ships, those, those hotel managers of the future will have a phenomenal chance going forward. But to come back to the point about digital connectivity and the technology and the cybersecurity, now, this isn't my specialist area, but it's clearly very important. It's an area where our IT security teams are spending a lot of effort. We've built up a whole new set of uh, protocols on board our vessels and ashore to ensure that we're safe. I'm sure you all have it already in Bureau Veritas, you know, the amount of phishing emails that we see coming through, the opportunities that there are to be bought under cyber attack. And we are in a digital world where we rely very heavily upon the digital universe to allow us to operate our ships more effectively. So... Clearly, we're working closely with different providers to ensure that our systems are secure and safe. But it is an area of concern, and but it's also an area of, of very, very large focus at the moment to ensure that we are safe and secure in managing those uh, cybersecurity challenges. I think there's not much to add what Tom said. What we see, of course, that we have more and more complex systems installed in ships which are connected to each other. And subsequently, this will lead to an increase in data transfer on board and to shoreside operation centers, as well as suppliers. Because as Tom said, of course, the operator wants to, to know 
about the performance of the ship and subsequently based on the cybersecurity will become more important from our point of view. And Bureau Veritas is well prepared and able to support owners in managing cybersecurity challenging in helping to develop and find solutions. And coming back on what uh, we discussed before on, on the young generation, I see now this uh, area as a challenge similar to what we had when we changed from sales to coal and then from coal to heavy fuel oil. Now we have maybe LNG. I don't know what we have in future. Green fuels, sales, something else, I don't know. But it's very challenging and interesting. It sounds like it's going to be a very exciting decade and more ahead. And, and as you've said, I hope there's opportunity for young people and thank you for joining us today Tom uh, Andreas it's been great listening to you and, and talking to you thanks for having me thank you Nick we hope you enjoyed this episode of Shaping a Better Maritime World so please visit our website where you can learn more about the industry read our updates and learn about our services but until next time stay safe whether we're meeting the challenges of decommissioning offshore oil and gas assets in a safe and sustainable manner helping ship owners embrace decarbonisation and digitalisation to transport goods safely and sustainably, or supporting marine renewable energy technologies. Bureau Veritas Marine and Offshore is shaping a better maritime world. Thank you for listening to the Shaping a Better Maritime World podcast by Bureau Veritas.